Um, let's start off with a with a word of prayer, and then we'll take it from there. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you for this day. Lord, I want to thank you for the fact that we can ask you to search us, to cleanse us, to help us, to guide us, to lead us. Lord, I praise you over and over again for the things that you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be looking at an interesting story. And uh, I kind of find it kind of fun to read. Um, I hope you all enjoy the story. We're in 2 Kings. We're going to be in chapter 1. Now, to give you a little bit of history, okay, Ahab was a king of Israel. He refused to do what God told him to do. In the chapter before this, if you want to go back and read it, he called 400 prophets, all got them all together and said, should I go into battle? And all the prophets said, yeah, go into battle, you, you will succeed. And he said, no, let's, let's ask a man of God. Let's, let me ask the prophet that I depend on. So he asked the prophet. The prophet said, yeah, go ahead. You're going to succeed. And the king says, wait a minute. You've always told me the truth. Why are you lying to me now? <laughs> and he basically said, you've already made up your mind, so go ahead. You're going to die, but go ahead. Well, the king went, and he died. And his son took over. And his son did the same thing his father's was doing. So his son has only reigned for two years. And that's where we come into the story, okay? And Hazizai fell down through the lattice in his upper chamber and was in Samaria and was sick. And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go inquire of Bezalzadabub, the god of Echon, what I should recover from, if, whether I should recover from this disease. Okay. Major crisis happens in his life, and what does he do? He goes and seeks something else, another God besides God. Now, in today's society, I know people that seek other gods than God on every decision they make. If they did, they wouldn't be so popular. How many people read their horoscope? Or how many people go and... <laughs> do numberology, or how many people go and believe these things, and they base their whole entire life off of it. When something happens in our lives, we as Christians, the first thing we ought to do is what? Seek God. Even before, even before we ask ourselves what to do, we ought to seek God. See, we have a tendency, something happens. And we start asking ourselves, how can I fix this? How can I replace it? What should I, I, I do about it? Well, I'm learning in my life, and I have learned some in my life, and sometimes I have to repeat it, that the first question out of my mouth is that, okay, God, what are you going to do about this? What is it that you want me to do? Let's, let's give you an example. Let's say your car blows up, catches on fire, and it's a total wreck. Okay? You don't have a car, it's sitting there, it's burning two cinders. You need to ask yourself, God, what would you have me do with this? Now, 
our first impulse is to call the insurance company and say, hey, I got a car, come over. But even before we call the insurance company, we need to ask God for his direction and his guidance. Now, we call the insurance company. God gave us confirmation we need to call the insurance company. We call the insurance company. They come and they give us a check. Now we need to ask God where we spend this check at. We don't go down to any old car dealership. We say, okay, Lord, where would you like for this check to go to replace my vehicle? Kind of different, isn't it? It's kind of a different approach. Would you, would you not agree to it? Maybe God wants you to find an individual that's selling a car that needs the money. Maybe God knows of a charity that sells cars that needs the money. Maybe God has another purpose for that money. Maybe you're not even supposed to buy another car with that money. See, God knows all of those things. We don't know anything. But we need to seek his guidance instead of chasing the world, instead of doing what we do. My, what I decide to do without asking God is no better than doing my horoscope. It's no better than running off to other gods. It's no better than flipping a coin. But when I ask God and I seek his guidance and I seek his will, now I've got something that I can work with. I've got something that I can hang on to. I've got something that I can know about for sure. Okay? He is seeking Beelzebub. I can't talk to him. Beelzebub. Now, in the New Testament, Beelzebub is the um, god of the demons. He's another name for the devil himself. At this time period, he was considered god of the flies. And uh, I don't know why. I don't know if flies followed him when they worshipped him or if he, he had a reputation of chasing all flies. I just know that in this period of time, he was considered the god of flies. Okay? So he sends his messenger and says, Hey, I need you to go find this other god, and I want to know what he says. Verse 3, But the angel of the Lord said unto Elijah, the, the Tishbite, I like that word, the Tishbite, Arise and go and meet the messenger of the king of Samaria, and say unto them, it is not because there is not a God in Israel that you go to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron. He's saying, go tell him it's not because there, it's not because there's not a God in Israel. He's basically saying because you don't believe there's a God in Israel. See, when we don't ask God about the situation in our life, we're acting like there is no God. Stop, stop and think about it. We know we're Christians. We know we have God. We know we have the Holy Ghost with us. If we do not ask his permission, if we do not sit down and ask him, if we do not question him about what we're going through, it's acting like what? There is no God. It's, it's like we're taking for granted. It's like, well, I, I believe, but I, I'm going to do this on my own. Anytime that we make a decision and we don't ask God, it's like there's no God in our lives. 
God wants to be a vital part of our lives. He wants to be entwined in our lives. He wants us to come to him with every decision, every question, so that we can have fellowship with him. God created man to have fellowship with him, not to ignore him. I don't know how many times in a person's life that they ignore God or act like he's not there, and they go and they make decisions on their own, okay? So Elijah, <laughs> now, and verse 4, Now therefore saith the Lord, Thou shalt not come down from thy bed, on which thou art gone up, but thou shalt surely die, and Elijah departed. The Lord's message to this king is, guess what? You're going to die. You're not going to get better. You're not going to get well. You're going to die. I wonder. I don't have any proof of this. But I wonder. If he had consulted God first, if he would live longer. Just a question. If he had gone to God first, would God have forgiven him of his sins and helped him to live longer? Don't know. But it's a strong possibility. Okay? Anyway, so he went out and found the messenger, verse 5, and when the messenger turned back unto him, he said unto them, Why turn you back? And the king's going, Wait a minute. I sent you on this long trip and you're already back. So what's going on? How did you get back so quick? It should have taken you at least a day and a half to get there and a day and a half to get back. How come you got back so quick? What happened that you came back so quick? And here's what the messenger said. And he said unto him, There came a man to meet us and said "Go unto us, Go, turn again unto the king that sent you, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, it is not because there is not a God in Israel that thou hast sent us to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Enron. Therefore thou shalt not come down from thy bed on that which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. That's where I get the idea that if he had called to God, he might have lived longer because it says, because it is, okay, Thus saith the Lord, it is not because there is not a God that thou sendest to inquire of Elizabeth. Therefore thou shalt not come down. If he had inquired of God, would God have saved him? Would God have helped him? Would God have ministered to him? But because he didn't, guess what? He's going to die on his bed. Now, the king's curious. And he said unto them, What manner of man was he which came up to meet you and told you these things? All right, who told you this? Where do you get this message from? Who was this man? And they answered him, He was a hairy man with girth and a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Now I want you to picture this. The description of Elijah 
is he's a big man. He's covered in hair. He's wearing a leather apron around his waist. That's just not anybody you would expect to meet. But there wasn't very many people in that society that fit that role, was there? It's like John the Baptist. John the Baptist wore camel hair coat and ate, crick, ate lizards. I mean, well, ate locusts and honey. I'm sorry, honey. I'm, she's over steering at me. Ate locusts and honey. The men that God calls sometimes do not fit into society. That's just a fact. Most of the society didn't like them. Because why? They told the truth. They proclaimed God's word. They didn't hesitate. They just simply said, this is the truth. Now, how did he know that this was Elijah? Because he had seen Elijah in his own father's, his palace before. Elijah had come and told his father things before. He knew him. He had seen him. He had heard of him. Okay, back to the first question. If he had seen him, if he had heard of him, why didn't he ask him about God? Why would he go to a foreign place and seek a foreign God if he knew that a man of God was there? A man of God is is a strange thing. Um, There have been some places that I've been that they knew that I was a Christian and nobody else there was. I was asked to do a wedding, and the lady called me up. She used to be a friend of mine. She still is a friend of mine. She calls me up, and she says, My daughter is getting married, and we'd like for you to do the wedding ceremony. And I said, Why do you want me to do it? She says, Because we know you're a Christian. Okay? Being a Christian is an example that other people can call on. They will call on you because they know you're a Christian for prayer. They will call on you when things go bad. They will call on you when their son gets arrested for drugs. They will call on you when things fall apart. They will call on you because they know that you're a Christian. They may not have anything else to do with you the rest of your life. But if they have a need, guess what? They're going to call on you. I saw a movie a while back called Hacksaw Ridge. Great movie to a certain extent. It's about a man that goes to World War II, but he refuses to carry a gun because he doesn't believe that God wants him to commit murder. Okay? And he has to go through all these trials and all these things to show that he's willing to be a soldier, but he's not willing to carry a gun. The judge, uh, the general or whoever it is, finally says, okay, he says, we're going to give you permission to march into hell without a gun if that's what you want. So he's in battle. They go up on this ridge, and the Japanese attack him, and I mean they are slaughtered right and left. Everybody's trying to get off the ridge, and they get down off the ridge. And all of a sudden, all night long, they see these bodies being lowered down off the ridge by rope. There's like 57 people 
that are wounded American soldiers that are being lowered down by rope. There's even four Japanese soldiers that are lowered down by rope. They've come to realize that this man who didn't carry a gun was up there now risking his life, saving the wounded soldiers and getting them off the hill. He finally gets off the hill himself and they say, okay, now we've got to go take the hill again. And his whole entire troop refuses to move. The colonel's going, I said, say we've got to go take the hill again. Lieutenant says, we're not going until he gets through praying. We're not going to go back up there until he gets through praying. Christians can have an impact on the world they live in, no matter how lost it is, because they know that they're what? That they're Christians. Okay? He knew him, but he didn't call on him. Now, verse 9. Then the king sent it to a captain of 50, with his 50, and he went down to him, and behold, he was at the top of the hill, and he spoke unto him, Thou man of God, the king said, Come down, come on down. And Elijah answered and said unto the captain of the 50, If I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Elijah didn't do this for his own glory. He didn't do this because he could. He did this for the glory of God. The king was demanding that he comes. The king didn't ask him nicely to come. He sent 50 soldiers to pick him up and haul him down there forcefully if they had to. Okay, so Elijah called fire down from heaven. Again, <laughs> verse 11, again, also he sent to another captain of 50, and with his 50, and 50, and he answered and said unto him, O man of God, had thus hath the king said, Come down quickly. Come on down, where the king wants to see you. Verse 12. And Elijah answered and said unto them, if I, if I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and the fifty. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Interesting story, isn't it? I'll read you a verse. Luke chapter 9, verse 54. Jesus had gone into a town and was rejected by the people of the town. And here's why John, James and John said, And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that, wilt that, that we would command fire to come down from heaven and to consume them, even as Elijah did? Okay. Now, they knew of this story in Jesus' time. They were referring to this story in Jesus' time. The disciples said, hey, we can, we can wipe these people down. We can call fire down from heaven and, and destroy them. Now, I will tell you, that's not what Jesus did. And I can tell you why that's what not Jesus did. Remember mercy and grace and love and compassion. 
Jesus has set us basically with a new spirit. Instead of being vengeful and revengeful and wanting to push the zap button, we are supposed to approach it with what? Grace, mercy, and understanding. The reason I tell you that is because verse 13. And he said unto and he sent unto him again a captain of the third fifty and his fifty. And the third captain of the fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elisha and besought him and said unto him, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these fifty servants be precious in thy sight. Catch the different attitude here? Instead of demanding that he comes to the king, this captain humbles himself. This captain recognizes the power of God. This captain recognizes that God is a force to be reckoned with and asks him to consider his life and the life of his 50 men. Okay? Behold, there came fire down from heaven and burned up the two captains of the former 50s and their 50s. Therefore, let my life now be precious in thy sight. Verse 15. And the angel of the Lord said unto Elijah, Go down to him, be not afraid of him. And he arose and he went with him unto the king. Now why is God telling him not to be afraid? Because the king has already sent a hundred soldiers. Basically to handcuff him and bring him in if they had to. The king is already showing hostile toward Elisha. And he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, For as much as thou hast sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Enoch, it is not because there is no god in Israel to inquire of this world, well, this word. Therefore shall thou not come down from my bed, on which thou art gone up, but shall surely die. He goes and he tells the king, because you required of the gods, besides the God, because you wanted to talk to these other gods, you're not going to recover. You're going to go up and you're going to die. Verse 17, so he died accordingly to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. And Jehoram reigned in his stead in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Josephat, king of Judea, because he had no sin. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Now, here's the interesting part. Now, the rest of the acts of Elhazbar, which he did, are not written in the book of Chronicles of the king of Israel. The only thing that's mentioned about this man is his attitude toward God is his rebellion to follow God, is his inquiry to seek another God, we don't know anything else about him. There's nothing else written in the Chronicles about him. We just know that he was a king that did what? Sought the advice of somebody else besides God. I would hate for that to be my epitaph. Here lies Roland, 
The only thing we can say about him is he sought advice from other things besides God. Isn't that a sad epitaph? Isn't that a sad thing of life? Isn't that sad to go by and see that on your tombstone? The only thing he did was ask other gods for advice. Something to think about, isn't it? All right, let's have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that we can come to you first. Lord, that we can seek you. And Lord, that we can know the things that you have in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, by the way, just... Uh,